0: on up Jonathan and we're going to pray for you. I love Jonathan. We've uh we've known each other for a long time, 20 something years, but I've really got to know him in the last 4 years. And uh I have really been knit with this guy. I love him. I love his heart. Uh he's a, he, he's uh become a dear brother to me and I know the Lord's doing so much in his life, and I'm looking forward to hearing what the Lord's going to release to to us from him, but let's pray for him, and in doing so, we're praying for ourselves. <laughs> Lord, thank you for my brother. We just, Lord, we bless him. Lord, you said uh, that, you know, as we receive anyone we receive you like when we receive a wise man in the name of a wise man we receive that wisdom that gift when we see a prophet in the name of the prophet we receive his reward and so lord we want to say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord we receive him and we receive what you're releasing through him right now lord just pour out your spirit upon him let him feel your presence and your anointing and speak through him for us lord god in Jesus' name, amen.
1: I did not know you had a, uh, a second guest follow up.
0: That's just in case you're bad. We
1: got <laughs> <laughs> You know, let me, let me respond to that. I'll be bad as I need to be, but if God is present, it doesn't matter what I do. Because <laughs> I can be horrible and God will fix it, <laughs> right? Okay, let's, oh, there it is right here. I see it. There's multi-buttons and contraptions on this. I'll make sure I get it all. Okay, so, all right, I'm getting organized. I'm actually going to teach today. Everyone's got fancy computers. I just turned my computer off, isn't that Nice. So, I know there's several people that I have not seen in a while in the room, and there's probably some people in here that I've never met. So again, my name is Jonathan Blanchard, and yes, me and Travis have become uh, m- very close friends in the last several years, um, and I'm looking forward to being here. I was crying a lot earlier, and I know why, and I know that's part of the plan for the day, but um, there's no coincidence that the name of these shirts that I'm looking at that are coming up after me is called, Was it called, His Heart? Hear His Heart, because that's actually a confirmation of everything that I've already been hearing this morning, because uh, one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about a new book that I've written. I've been talking about writing a book for a long time, and I actually finally wrote it. When I tried to write a book many years ago, it didn't work because I really didn't have anything worth saying. (laughs) So before you write a book, you actually have to have something worth talking about. And, you know, of all the books that have been written in the earth, there is never going to be a more revelatory book other than the Bible because most of the time people that are believers usually end up writing about the Bible anyway, and they just articulate Positions and perspectives that somehow articulate the truths that have already been revealed to us from other writers but just imagine where we would be if people didn't actually write down the words of God or the Experiences of God so that we could actually have something to reflect on. Could you imagine not having a Bible? <laughs> or even written documents about history. It's just the written word is 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 got a lot of weight in it so um, I've written a book, it's called Perfect Alignment, The Choice of a Generation. And I'm excited about the teenagers because I was hoping that they wouldn't leave the meeting. And then someone said, well, we need to bring the teenagers back in because I've written this book to reach all levels of understanding. And I've written it for a purpose of every generation, the Lord gives the same choice. And it's the role of mothers and fathers to continually impart that choice in each generation to understand if they really want to obtain the knowledge of God or not. Because if you don't pass it down, it will get lost. And that's a commandment. The Lord commanded the Israelites to teach each generation his ways. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with... um, A couple of stories before I really get into this. You know, I've been doing some reading lately. And, you know, when when you start finding stuff in the scriptures, it starts making you think about things. You know, I'm going to see if anybody else has caught on to this particular revelation in Genesis because I just found it recently. I've been reading in Genesis and Adam is created and God gives Adam a name. So then God creates woman out of Adam But Adam does not give her a name just yet. It wasn't till after the fall of man that Adam actually gave Eve her name. So all the way into like the third and fourth chapter, Adam is just going around calling the woman, woman. He just, woman, Why do you feel ashamed, Adam? Well, because this woman you gave me. He didn't say because Eve gave me the fruit. He said this woman you gave me. It's just, I think about things with God and I start finding stuff in scripture. And when the spirit of God starts unfolding things, you read in, I think it's chapter four, but I can go back to chapter three. It says, now Adam gave Eve her name. It's after the fall. At what time period was Adam living with this woman for how many months or years? And she didn't have a name. <laughs> Has anybody ever caught onto that? So I asked the Lord a question, and I presented this to my mom, and she kind of she I was like, wow, that was the same answer I got. <laughs> so I asked the Lord, so why did Eve not have a name? And it was pretty simple. The scripture came in with the two become one. There was something with Eve and Adam before she had received her name that she was identifying with Adam without a name because they were already one and she was connected to him in such a way that the name was, it was transferable. And you think about it, when I get married, my wife loses her last name and she takes my name on. There was just something into it, I'm just saying. You start looking, you start asking God questions. Well, Why did it take so long for Adam to name Eve? So, you know, it's just... There's interesting things in the Bible. And if you read it and you ask the Holy Spirit to talk to you, he just points things out. You know, just food for thought, you know? You're talking about the election, you know, right? I'm not, I'm not even going anywhere to where I'm heading yet, but, you know, I had this experience, uh, what, six months ago I shared with you, uh, the, we were on the phone, me and Travis, and, you know, the Lord just plants things in your life. He just drops seeds And he puts those things in there for future references. And, you know, it's like I was telling someone earlier that, you know, we don't have a straight line with God. Nothing is ever straight, it's zigzag. Everything is, we all have crooked paths, we have crooked past but we also have crooked paths, and with God, he leads us on crooked journeys because he's always trying to take us and navigate us somewhere. So it's never a straight shot, because if we could see the finish line, then it wouldn't require faith. So that's why he takes us on all these little zigzags. You know, there's a zigzag going on in our country about where is the country heading? What is the Lord doing? What is he going to do about potentially all the the issues of leaders in our country? But you know, I was talking to you, and then my Truck got possessed, and that song jumped out of the radio by Toby Mac. It said, help is on the way. Help is on the way. And I was like, that is really strange. The song just literally cut out. That song started playing, and those two phrases came in. Do you remember that story? And then the next day, I was talking to Susan about gas prices in the government, and then another song jumped on my Sono speaker out of nowhere. It wasn't even playing, and its song started singing, It's going to get better. And I was like, what is going on with possession of God doing something with this electronics? And it was written by Genesis. (laughs) And I was like, this is the case. So I get a seed, I hear. So now I want to make a disclaimer what I'm about to say, but I am not endorsing and prophesying any future leader. But I was listening to Trump speak yesterday, day before, on his announcement of running for presidency and in the middle of his speech he stops and he says this word for word and I said man this is the Lord lining something up for me to have hope. He says in the middle of his speech help is on the way. And I thought to myself another seed. I know I can say this God is definitely going to bring help. It is on the way. Now, how he brings it and who he brings it through, I'm not sure, but I do know there is a hope and a help coming to this nation that God has definitely been talking to me about. I'm just ready to see the zigzag path of how the Lord does it. This has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about. I'm just kind of just connecting with you guys. But what I really want to get into is the love of God and as Ephesians 3:19 is very clear, it surpasses knowledge. The love of God surpasses knowledge. It is something that goes past our brain, it goes into the depths of our spirit and our soul experientially. Hear God's heart. Hear His heart. That is what I think ultimately I'm going to expand on, because I have five benchmarks. In in my book and I've created five benchmarks and I want to define what a benchmark is. I want to identify five of the benchmarks but I really wanna focus on the main benchmark for the day which be you know, talking about God's love. So a benchmark is a point of reference by which something can be assessed or measured. A benchmark is a point of reference by which something can be assessed or measured. We all use a reference by which we measure or assess life and the process of making decisions within our journey. At every given moment of our day, we are making an assessment or a measurement of what we need to do based on how we think and a guideline of the decisions we have to make. Now, the question is, who or what are we using for the assessment or how are we measuring our decisions and the weight of those decisions? A few examples would be we can use our own self-based philosophy or our own psychology to make these decisions. We can use the understanding of other people's opinions to guide our journey and make these decisions. Lastly, we can rely on a deity or deities that present a supernatural dependence that requires a belief in that deity. And in other words, we can believe in a God. We can believe in multiple gods. We can put our faith into something that we can't see to help us assess making decisions. Well, I'm going to pray today. I'm going to pray to this rock. I'm going to pray to, th- I'm going to pray, but like, well, who are you praying to? I mean, a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm praying. I'm like, well, Who's listening? Who's actually listening because not everybody that says they are praying to God is saying they are praying to the same God that I'm praying to now one of the things that I understand is that God comes in the form of many different you know personalities he can be a lion but he can also be a lamb and I think the Lord is a lamb today you know I can be a very callous what people would think distant individual but I really do have an emotional side to me that's very alive. And my emotions are most of how I discern what the Lord is doing with me. Discernment comes in many different ways, but most of the time I feel what the Lord is doing and he uses my emotions to give me ministry or to discern what's happening. And so earlier, what I was feeling was just the affection of the Lord, which I've is very obvious in many different cases, but I'm just crying over there because I know that there are people in the room who feel like they've been in the desert on a horse with no name. I think that there are individuals in the room that are missing the touch of a person because they are so going through being alone and feeling loneliness. And what I've been feeling the Lord highlighting is there are people in the room that need to know that there are people that care. This should be starting to sink in with at least one person and I'm speaking this out of Revelation now. This is not notes. This is what I've been feeling before I came to the meeting and what I've been feeling during the meeting. The Lord is trying to get close to some people in the room but he also is trying to get people to get close with his body because People need a touch, a human touch, and they don't necessarily need a prophetic word. You just need to know that someone will give you a hug. The benchmark that I'm going to really dive into is called the benchmark of love. But some of the other benchmarks that I have in my book would be, you know, the benchmark of ignorance, which is in chapter one, the benchmark of perception, the benchmark of humility, Benchmark of love is the fourth one, and then the benchmark of trust. And I benchmark these in my book because I believe that we're living in a time where there needs to be some real clear defining and instructing of what love is, what love is not, understanding you know, that the world has a way of defining things and then God has a way of defining things. And when there's confusion between those two, you find gray matters, and within those gray matters, people are confused. But the benchmark of ignorance, which is in chapter one, you know, no one can really deny that you have a birthday. Hard facts. No one can deny they have a birthday. Hey, Wayne, the grass is greener on the other side. There is another level of provision coming from somewhere. The grass is greener on God's side and I know that he is taking you to a greener side. The grass is greener on the other side. Before I forget, <laughs> that's why I'm sharing that with you. Back to the benchmark of ignorance, we all, we're all born ignorant. We all come from the same channel. We all start with ignorance. And within that place, we all have to have a starting point of who begins to start shaping our thoughts, our emotions. Nobody in this room can claim that they have been born with the understanding that you currently have. And the reason why I benchmark that is because we all have the same starting point. And we all have been given the same journey to experience relationship in the same way. And you know, our first learning curve is experience. Babies don't tell you they're hungry, they just scream. They're not using words yet because they haven't learned to communicate. But within that, you know through experience that when you feed a baby, the baby's satisfies. So experience is ultimately one of God's most powerful ways to release revelation. Nobody can encounter God without having an experience, because it touches the emotion of your heart, and it begins to unlock something that maybe has been dormant for so long. So we get into this benchmark of ignorance because we have to understand that when we talk to people, nobody has come into existence any other way. You can't argue the biology behind it, and we benchmark it because it's, it's concrete, and so Experience starts teaching us, we're taught by our parents or we're taught by people who are stewarding our life because not everybody who was born has their parents present. Someone has to start instilling understanding. So then we go into a benchmark of perception. And when we start growing out of this this place of losing the ignorance and replacing it with knowledge, we start developing perspectives. We start developing perception about life and not every perspective that we get is always accurate. People are fed lies from the beginning. And you can't have a lie unless there is the opposite of that, which is the truth. And the enemy's goal is to sow deception so that people will not find truth. So not everything that we're learning is necessarily good for us. Just because a parent sets an example doesn't mean that's a good example. If you see your father beating your mother and the child doesn't know any different, he may think that's normal, or she may think that's normal because they have nothing to measure it against. Oh, I just thought it was like this in every family. No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. So we get into the benchmark of perception because we have to have a way of regarding or interpreting something, a mental impression. And so as we're cultivated into a young person, our perceptions... Are completely in contradiction with the way God thinks because nobody is born into the knowledge of God. We are born without the knowledge of God, and then someone has to actually start teaching and imparting and releasing that to start tearing down the opportunity for the lie to come and present itself. And not every parent teaches the same thing, they don't teach it the same way. I came from a monkey. No, I didn't. People still believe in evolution. People still believe that there is no account for why everything you see exists. People still... We all have come out of a place of not knowing God's knowledge. And he had to reveal. We know by faith that God created the heavens and the earth. It is by faith that he unlocks the revelation that everything that's existing in front of me is a result of his creation coming out of his creative expression. But you don't know that. You know? You don't know that until you cross over. So in the book, I transfer the movie of The Matrix. How many have seen The Matrix? I use the movie The Matrix and I parallel and I, I show how we can cross over from the invisible world, you know, to the fake world, to the real world. And I just start, you know, I start articulating Neo and I start using that to how he is basically, you know, representing what's gonna happen in everybody's life is you have to cross over. You have to get born again. And so when we start getting into... The last benchmark, the third benchmark, which would be the benchmark of humility, you know, Neo has to come to this encounter where he has to forsake everything that he thinks he knows. And he has to trust the message of the messenger. Well, that messenger is Morpheus, someone who is testifying of something he's already seen. Neo's like, well, i got two choices. I take a red pill, I take a blue pill. I could take one, believe what I want, or I can take the other one and go down the rabbit hole. You know, God speaks in so many different manifestations because sometimes he has to find a way to get his truth out even if his own church or body is not representing that. he will find a way to do it. Everybody's created in the image of God. Everybody's been given an, oppor- an opportunity to bring an expression. The guys that wrote this movie, they are completely transgender into females now. They are confessing, acting, and had changes to be women. They were two brothers. Now they are women. Well, in, in the context of how they identify, and you know, I get into this in, in, one, in, in the last chapter, it's called Abstract. No, it's chapter 11 called Fill in the Blank. I get into this gender identity crisis that's happening in our culture. It's nothing new in the context of being rooted in deception, but how the enemy is manifesting deception and delusion, it says that in the end, people will find creative ways to do evil. People have been being creative to doing evil for a long time. I've been very good at creating evil when I was younger. Thank God I had a revelation, and now I I look forward to creating good things. Because we all have a crooked past, God makes a narrow path straight, and then he leads us on this zigzag journey to unfold his nature to us. So the benchmark of humility is really important because it's probably one of the most incredible benchmarks because it determines how God responds to us. God responds to every single person the same way. He is not one way with me and then one way with Nick or Travis or Miriam or anyone else in the room. He's the same with me as he is with you. The difference is my posture and how I respond to the Lord is, determines how much I get from him based on my willingness to be humble. It's interesting to think that God wants to have conversation with humanity. He's so patient because he knows every single person that comes into relationship with him thinks they know a lot more than they really do. And he has to patiently bring every person into the same conclusion, the same path, to understand, I have a way of doing things. You can live in your own psychology and your own self-based you know, uh, thinking, but eventually, if you want to learn from me, you're going to have to forsake all that and understand that my way is really better and that the grass is greener on the other side, especially on the side God's on. So the benchmark of love, this is probably the most important one because there needs to be a way to articulate and to define love, and there's two ways that people start to begin to think about love. It's the horizontal, and then there's the vertical. I have a chapter called Abstract and Concrete. How many of you here are, are artists and understand the terms of abstract and realism? Okay, so what, how would you define, ma'am, you in the glass, how would you define abstract? Um, something that you imagine and that
0: you see it and it's clear you, but you have to really work on
1: being able to articulate it so that others understand it. Okay. She's saying that you have to create a, a, a way to articulate that, that art so that other people can understand it. Who else would, would take a stab also to adding to what abstract art is? I think abstract is something that's definitive, but yet it's fluid at the same time. Definitive and fluid. So you might have definitive boundaries or borders, but it, it. Okay. So it's kind of messy. It is messy, and, th- and that's a good way of putting it because that's going to tie in a little bit. So... Abstract art is basically art that does not give a definitive interpretation. It leaves room for interpretation. It lets the artist paint a picture so that 10 people can look at it and they can pick what they want from it and they can define and they can interpret whatever it is they feel is important to them about that picture. It has no real boundaries, but it has lines in the art that's messy that allows you to interpret the way that you want to interpret it. Now, When you get into concrete art or realism. So, before I get into that, so examples of this would be Van Gogh, The Starry Night, you know, Picasso. These guys are known for abstract artwork. But then you get into AKA Robert Norman Ross. Anybody remember Robert Norman Ross on the public TV station? Bob Ross, Fluffhead, you know, Chia Pet. Y'all remember Bob Ross? Happy little, Happy little trees. So Bob Ross put his fingerprint all over the map with concrete art, realism. He would paint something as it was, and it would be very concrete. The tree would be green because he saw a green tree, and therefore it left no room to misinterpret exactly what he was saying or what he was drawing. I'm gonna give you this book. You, sir. I want you to read the first page I wrote that because whoever that book is for, that's what those words mean. And there's also something in there for you. No, just you can read it to yourself. I just wrote a note to you on the very first page. It's my handwriting. And then I also put something in there. No, you don't have to read it out loud. <laughs> but that's for you, man, because I felt like whatever I wrote that paragraph in there it would be for the person that I give that book to. There's also also something else in there that's concrete that you can take with you. I think you see it on the first page. Okay, that's for you. You're welcome. So Bob Ross, I need another book now. <laughs> so I gotta pull some notes out. Now I'm gonna give some books away. I, um, I'm gonna eventually start selling books, but I felt like I was supposed to just do some giveaways for a while. So I'm gonna read this real quick. Getting into abstract and concrete. You know, you write a book and you can't remember all of it. You got to go back and say, did I actually write that? I don't remember saying that. How many people have seen Bob Ross, like watched his show? Oh, this little tree over here. Oh, he needs a friend. Let's put a little bush next to it. <laughs> you know, he would say things like, "Oh, we don't make mistakes, we just have happy accidents. Oh, we don't make mistakes, just happy accidents. And a soft-spoken voice, you know. And there's nothing wrong with having a tree as a friend. He was, he he had fro, he had fro going on. You know, the thing is, God created Bob Ross very individually, very unique, but in the same way, God has recreated every single person with another fingerprint that's never alike. So... Here's where we're going with all this. The dictionary tells us that love is an intense feeling of deep affection or showing great interest and pleasure in something. This paints a picture that love is defined by feelings or the emotion of pleasure. If love is a feeling, then we can associate love to be abstract. Abstract is something that exists in thought or as an idea but does not have a physical or concrete existence. The world implies that love should be abstract and that it can be expressed in any form. These affections and feelings of the heart have no boundaries and we can shape it any way we feel it, fit on our canvas of life. The idea of love enables everyone to love whomever and whatever they want. It paints the picture that we have the right to choose whatever we want, even if it means aborting a new life to preserve our own. Love triumphs when there are no restrictions on who we can love, what love can be, or preserving the rights to our feelings. An abstract artist creates art through what they feel and the perspectives they embrace, and this allows for multiple interpretations. It's very obvious in our generation, people want love to win, but they want human love to be the defining moment of what they can justify as something that basically they cannot be told is wrong. Society wants everyone to get along and culture wants everyone to love one another. All are welcome no matter what you believe and unity is the anticipated prize. If love is just an emotion then this philosophy wins and no one loses. We will allow our feeling to control who and what we love and if it feels good how can it be wrong? However, our emotions cannot be trusted. Our feelings are like the weather and can shift instantly as circumstances change. If we allow our feelings to measure love, we will always fall short of an accurate measurement. But what if love is not abstract and is more than just a feeling? What if love is more concrete, having a physical existence? If this is the case, then love is not an idea or a thought that needs interpretation. This means that love has its own natural form and can be seen concretely. If God is love, then love is not abstract. This love will have a physical or concrete existence. It will exist outside of our interpretation and we will see love as God paints it on his canvas. If God is love, then love is a person. And this person is Jesus. And Jesus reveals love through his expression and we do not have to search for an interpretation of what he did. I'm not gonna read this whole chapter because that might take a few minutes. But the point is, Jesus is the benchmark of love. And the benchmark of love is measured and is gauged by the level of measurement God has released through forgiveness. There is no greater scale in the earth that we can align with to experientially come into the knowledge of God's love that surpasses my brain than knowing that God wipes the slate clean. I think that there are some people in the room that need a hug today. You know, one of the the things that I do with the Lord is I reserve the right for him to move on me in whatever fashion he feels he needs to move for the sake of seeing the Spirit of God minister to the people around me. The weight that I felt earlier, the emotion of feeling the Lord's affection is I heard the song, you know, been on a horse in the desert with no name. It's a dry place. And you're what people might be walking in a place where the person around them, they don't they just don't have anybody to call on. There's no relationship. How many people in the room and can be willing to be courageous enough to say. I probably could use a hug today because I feel like I've been in the desert and I just need to know that people would care about me enough to just embrace me, you know, one we got two. I, I'm starting to feel that same presence in the weight earlier, and I think that the ministry that is coming for these individuals in the room, this is, this is um, defining moments. First of all, you believing that God truly is a God of forgiveness. I'm going to be patient with this one because I'm not so much interested in talking about what I've written about. I'm interested in feeling what the Spirit of God is wanting to do for the people who the Lord is like. I can see the treasure in your chest. And what I value inside of you, you also need to see the value of what I'm seeing. The benchmark of love is measured by God's forgiveness. Did any of that stuff that I wrote mean anything to you? Do you feel like you just need someone to come next to you and let you know that you, you don't have to go alone? Now, I invited Nick and Gracie to come randomly this morning. They were going to Global River, and I said, why don't you come to Morningstar? Maybe there might be some ministry time. I, I, f- I feel like the Lord wants to heal. Now, God doesn't always heal physically. I, I can't say that I've been in positions, situations where every time I pray for someone, they get healed sick, but I know this. The healing threshold for your emotions this morning and for you, and, was there anybody else that raised their hand? The Lord goes after one. He goes after one. He goes after the one. And sometimes there's more than one in the same place. I can feel a pin drop in the room. I can feel the weight of the presence of God in the room. You cannot experience the vertical love through horizontal application. Let me explain that. Human love can never accomplish and solve a problem for a spiritual issue. We are spirit and we are created in the image of God by his spirit. It's only through horizontal affection when the spirit of God is moving through someone horizontally that you also experience the vertical at the same time. Jesus is the mediator. He stands between us. He is the impression of perfect alignment like a solar eclipse. Just like the moon has to come in between the earth and the sun. When the sun shines on the moon and it casts a shadow over the earth, Jesus stands between us and God and the shadow of God's presence overlooks all of the sin in our life and it casts that shadow over us and it covers us. I would like to pray for you. I would like to pray for you I think I'm going to shift into can we what do you want to do here? I know you have some people that want to to come in behind me, but I'm feeling like, you know, the ministry time is starting to come into play with where I'm at. I think there needs to be application for some people, I think there needs to be an impartation of experientially feeling God's love.